I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Between the time when gamers played with miniatures and chainmail, and the rise of the Wizards of the Coast, there was an age of advanced role-playing undreamed of. And onto the Skygas, destined to bear the jeweled crown of TSR upon a troubled brow. It was given to teach us all how to roll for initiative. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Yeah, I was going to... It sounds like, unlike uh, G1 and G2, G3 is a little bit more unique in the fact that, according to the background information... The players are now, at this point, they've actually left the prime material plane and are entering, I'll read it here, it says uh, they are about to venture into the hot uh, and smoking barrens, which are in effect Muspelheim, the home of the fire giants. And then they go through a little bit of description on, on you know, the, the, the landscape is cindery and smoking and hot and there's a dim red light for you know basically the sun is casting this just a abnormally red dim rudy light across the landscape and it should just be very depressing well yeah it's just uh, well guys because there's no other place that i can think of and i don't i don't know i don't know Uh, hold on a second guys looks like we already started recording we're already on issue number 152 starting the show off with a little g three talk in the background so yeah and a little dis- hey, hey. a little dissension i'm not sure about that's all this. right that's uh, that's, uh, that's customary for the show yes it all depends right. on how you interpret the words in effect does it in effect, effect that's true exactly and as the d as the depends DM, all what you mean by the you. word is <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm gonna say that they're essentially saying that by this point the characters have left the prime material plane. That's how I'd run it. That's how I'd interpret it. Nick would interpret it differently. If you are going to run it from the prime material plane, I would do a little research then because I haven't been able to find a place in Greyhawk that fits this. That well, they have. This. There is a. They well, give let's save, a hex. Let's save they this beginning segment. Okay. Let's save all this for the beginning segment. And let's just get on with the show, beginning stuff. And we'll save all the juicy stuff for when we get inside table manners. <laughs> you guys can okay. argue out there. <laughs> so Fine. as you we're doing, obviously we're doing G3 today, but we have to get all the other things out of the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is uh, DM Vince here sitting with Chad. Hey. Nick. I disbelieve. And Matt. Hello. And obviously we're doing G3, as I said yet again. But we have a couple things to get out of the way. Uh, Nick, we have any stars this week? Uh, no new stars this week, sir. Continuing on? Continuing on. Uh, gaming. Who wants to talk? Anybody doing some good gaming lately? I'm Nobody. doing my, uh, as usual, we're, we're still running in search of the unknown uh, via play-by-post on Mythweavers. Uh, I'm running several of the, uh, the old-school gaming website forumites. Through it, and they have finally made it into what uh, what is called the Tower of the Unknown, which they're actually coming through uh, underneath it. So they're going through the, these these weird system of caves. 
We're having a good time. The Tower oh. of the Unknown, huh? Yeah. That's what I called it. That was my because that's one of the things I love about In Search of the Unknown is you you have a lot of freedom as a DM to it to flesh it out to make to to fit your campaign and it becomes yeah. a landmark within your campaign. So in mine, it's situated right in the center of the Welkwood which is like a highly dominated forest. It's a, it's a fairy forest. And they're, mm -hmm. they found out that a newcomer has moved into the forest and you have the Sealy and the Unsealy court, at least in my campaign. And, and they've stopped their little civil war because now they're both concerned about this new guy, the new master of the Tower of the Unknown, who's been doing some strange things that's affecting their forest. And the party... Uh, is now trying to figure out on behalf of both sides what is going on, and they're, they've they've promised the uh, lords of the of the fairy realm, the fey realm, that they will try to end the 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 the, the actions of Zalgar, the master of the Tower of the Unknown. Zalgar. Mm hmm. The Tower of Power. The Tower of Power. <laughs> anyway cool uh, yeah it's it's we're having a good time with it so i had a situation this weekend where i had a new player that took his ball and went home because he was a big crybaby. about what so i have a new guy who comes into the game signs up last minute comes in like you know 10 minutes early to roll up his character mm -hmm. he's probably in his i don't know late 40s early 50s he's a little bit weird and you can't he hardly hear anybody because every time we ask him a question he kept going what what but anyway, well, I've never heard of a role player that was a little weird. No, no never happened. This is beyond the weird spectrum. This goes like above and beyond. He um, wanted to play an illusionist gnome, and I said fine. He didn't qualify, and he you know cried about that because I only gave him a four d six drop the lowest method. That's fine. So as a DM, we I, I don't like to have players that are miserable. I said here, hold on, and I fixed his statistics a little bit, so he can play a gnome illusionist. Okay, and cool. It's fine with that. So he picked Fog of War as his one spell for an illusionist. And he picked um, a missile weapon instead of having a staff or a dagger. So whatever, that's fine. Okay. So during the adventure, one of the newer players who's brand new to tabletop role-playing doesn't understand the character of an illusionist and starts saying, well, why don't you do something, dude? Stop hiding in the corner or running away. Why don't you use your spell or throw a rock or do something? You're pretty useless. Wow. So then the dude snaps at this new guy and says, oh, I have his fog of war, my missile thing. I only have a 55% chance of hitting somebody. And then there's a 25%. He's like quoting all these rules and everything. I'm like, dude, chill out. Wow. I'm like, I would have given you a better chance than that just so you can do something. You know, all the rules said I can't do this or that. And I was like, all right. So then there was another point in the adventure where there was two characters and they were in a, running through a darkness room, which uh, they were kind of feeling around the room trying to get around. He the new, this new guy writes me a note and he said there'd be a cool idea to have one of the players in that room replaced by a doppelganger, right? Okay. So I said that's not a bad idea. So I do that. I pull the one of the two characters that's feeling around in the room, the player to the side, and explain to him that he can get his character back. It'd just be a cool, fun thing. And he cool. He rolls with it. He understands what a doppelganger is. Okay, cool. He rolls with it, and then as soon as the party rests down for the night. 
he puts his plan as a doppelganger into action, trying to pull a party member away from the party to, you know, pretty much subdue him and take over the party. As soon as this starts happening, the dude that suggested all this starts packing up and said, this type of game isn't for me. I don't like inner party fighting and what? players stealing things from another. I said, what? I'm like, dude, this was your idea. Your idea. <laughs> and he also yelled at the party when the thief and one of the fighters went alone and found like a hoard of treasure. Yeah. And instead of giving it entirely to the party, the rogue or I'm sorry, the thief car started stuffing things in his pocket to hide it. Okay. It's like, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to split it evenly with the party. I would have said uh, not according to his alignment. Yeah. I was just like, well, no, he's a thief. That's his first instinct to steal for himself. <laughs> yeah, thieves got to do, okay, one for you, one, two, three for me. One for you, one, two, three for me. Yeah, he didn't like the fact that the fighter was stuffing things in his backpack, too. And then he was like, oh, we'll just give the rest to the party. We'll just pretend like we didn't see this part. Was it? Now, my question would be, I mean, obviously the thief, I'm going to say it was within his alignment to do, though. I'm, I'm assuming it was also within the fighter's alignment to do that. Uh, they were they were both chaotic good. Okay, well they're chaotic good. They don't that doesn't mean they feel you know that lawful good would probably not have done that. But right. I, well, I don't see any problem with chaotic good keeping something for themselves. Sure. They were like their rationality was they risked their lives and traveled alone around alone to find this treasure, but they were nice enough to give the the party some of what they found. That was okay. their. So wow. this whole thing, this guy suggests the doppelganger thing. You're like, okay, cool. Let's roll with it. You put the whole, you know, thing in the action, and then he doesn't like it? Yeah, he doesn't like it. He packs up his stuff and said that, you know, I don't, I don't like this type of stuff. This, this is not my type of role play. Well. Is he bipolar or something? And then he commented later on, he goes, I don't like groups that there's inter-party play and other players stealing from other players and trying to kill each other on unwarranted attacks. I'm like thinking to myself, dude, you wanted all this. You suggested the doppelganger. Yeah, and that's what a doppelganger does, tries to split the party in some way and take over people and all that jazz. Yeah. What did he expect, just the doppelganger to come out and just start attacking without being, you know, uh, deceptive about it yeah as soon as he as soon as the player who was the doppelganger's character started attacking one of the other players and it and i rolled to see if the other characters would wake up i even said when the other players wake up i said you notice that it is no longer such and such character he fades into this this, this hideous disformed character of himself and you obviously recognize him to be a doppelganger at this point so wow but, packed up and, and cried and walked down the stairs. I was just like, whatever, dude. It was your thing. <laughs> wow. That just, I I have no words to, well, I do have words that just, they are very disparaging, but wow. Just, yeah, wow. that's interesting. Although it's neat that you brought up doppelgangers because I, I use them in my campaign, but uh, I, I, I decided that uh, in the campaign I'm running right now, they're Maybe a doppelganger if my, <gasps> my players are listening. But I I look at it more as, as a creature of Fae, like the like the changeling. Because oh, okay. that was a very big deal, was that they used to kidnap people and replace them 
with themselves looking like that person. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's out of the, the old lore. Absolutely. Yeah, but, but I'm not saying I am doing that if my guys are listening. <laughs> Just a possibility. Just a possibility. Talk amongst yourselves. Let the paranoia begin. Right. <laughs> Good game. Remember, the computer is always our friend. Yes. <laughs> so that's that. Yeah. Yeah. So there. I guess, Matt, do you have any gaming things no, you've been up to? Or? No, other than just prepping for Gen Con. Yeah. Figuring out what I'll be yeah, doing. Yeah, Gen Con's coming up. Yeah. Yeah, just... A few short days away, and I'll Matt, be... did you get the games, you uh, the events that you wanted to get into? Um, Actually, I don't play in the whole uh, let's rush for an events uh, game. I just kind of go there and wander and see what I get into. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't go in like, oh, I want this. It's more of figuring out, okay, what's going on that I would be kind of interested in, and if I'm not doing anything else more productive at the time, I'll go check that out. Far more. Sure. I, I take a far more laid back Gen Con. Yeah. This will be my eleventh, I think. Whoa. Wow. So wow, I've I, only been to four, I think. I've been every year since it's moved to Indianapolis. So at this point, it's I've seen a lot, did a lot. It's, so it's it's almost more of a social gathering of seeing like my old uh, Gen Con friends. I only get to see once a year. So it's sure. more about making yeah, that's kind of how I look at Gary Con. I like to go to Gary Con because I see certain friends I only see when I go there. Yeah. Although now I see them when I go to Nexus and Game Hole too, but that's all right. Right. Woo. Let's move Gen Con to Texas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is, is, is North Texas a game uh, a convention? Uh, what is it called again? It's North Texas Game Convention. PG Con, yeah. Yeah, they're already, looks like, uh, didn't they just have it, and they're already getting it geared up for next year? Yeah, as soon as the, what is it, as soon as the one ends, like a week later, they open up uh, pre-registration. Wow. Wow. You get like 50% off almost on the ticket prices for joining. Hmm, cool. Oh, a lot of people do it as soon as it comes up so they can pay only like half the price of the ticket fees. It's yeah, worth. That's that's really one I want to try out. I agree. You should. Uh, you never know. You never know. I might try to make it there next year. It's always always fun trying to figure out what I can get time off to do. Then I could do an actual RFI podcast with somebody there. Hey, uh, there you go. Yeah. We'll get you in. We'll get you in on a press pass, Chad. Hey, that'd be nice. And you can put on your press hat with a little uh, thing on the side that says press. Yeah, and I could wear I could wear like a trench coat with my uh, fedora with my little ticket in the side. Yeah, there you go. I could talk like a 1920s journalist too. Hey, what's up, boys? <laughs> Got any good stories? <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll, we'll have you type up all your reports on one of the old typewriters. Ding! Because you wanted to know. Yeah. We got this via, via telegram. Stop. Please come <laughs> this to the is Chet Chesterson Stop. reporting direct from North Texas because you wanted to know. You have to do the whole, and he's reporting there live. And <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm here looking down on. <laughs> Nick, gaming. Yeah, nothing. 
Nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. Oh no, I'm um, just. I actually spoke with the group, and we're going to get together. I think we're going to try for two games in August. So, um, and we're going to do the Castle Greyhawk campaign. So, this, this is wait. This is August. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, a couple weekends coming up here. Dun, so. dun, dun, dun. But other than that, nothing really. Just reading through some material. Cool. All right, sage advice, let's jump into it. Sage advice. Sage advice. This week, we have a couple emails. Uh, you can write us in, staff at gmail.com. Go to our website, type in your information, hit submit. That sends us an email. Um, hit us up on Facebook or G+, or you can call us at 570-865-4210 or voicemail hotline. Yes. Fire team. giants are standing by. Hey, they burn the phone. Well, no, they got. We have the bestest phones. The phones are burning up. <laughs> They're burning out the phone lines right now. Apparently, Chad is stuck in 1920s press mail. Yeah. See why I ought to smack you. Uh oh. <laughs> He's stuck in a Call of Cthulhu character now. Great. Why you? All right, I'm I'm pulling out. That's what. That's what. Uh, no, 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 not, no, no. It's, it's not going there. PG. Okay, so the first email <laughs> comes from Stephen, aka Dad's Angry from the forums of osrgaming.org. With the passing of Dave A. Trampier this year, I was wondering what happened to the original artwork for the front cover of the player's handbook. That art is what first attracted me to D and D. Someday when I win the Mega Million <laughs> Lottery, I love to have it hanging in my gaming room. Does it still exist? And if so, who has it? I don't know who. I guess the family would probably have it. Uh, I don't know. Would that be something that TSR kept? Who knows? That's a good question. They Possibly. may own the rights to it. I don't know. Yeah, because yep. I just know with Mad Magazine, uh, before Time Warner bought them, they, there was a bunch of, like, when you were in their offices, had big, giant, like, posters of, like, the, the various covers of Mag Magazine. Those are actually the original artwork, just hanging up in their office walls. Oh, okay. And once Time Warner found it, they're like, oh, we can sell these and make some money. And they went and auctioned a lot yeah. of them off. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it would depend on what sort of agreement they had with the artist. I mean, I don't know. To be honest, who would have the original artwork of any of his stuff? I tried to do some Googling about it. I couldn't find anything about it. So, yeah. The only person I would think that might know would be, uh, I think, Tom Wham, because they're related. Well, well also remember through marriage. Jeff D had to do that Kickstarter to reproduce his art because uh, all his was destroyed. Yeah. So. Yeah, I would think any of the artists would know because they probably would have a good idea of how the deals, uh, how that was set up. Yeah. Uh, from Jeff D's Kickstarter, he put uh, th this was his ongoing effort to recreate his old TSR Dungeons and Dragons artwork, which was destroyed by some thoughtlessness functionary to make room into TSR files. There's a possibility that could have happened with Tramp's work, too. So who knows? Well, like I said, Tom Wham, I believe they're they're related through like marriage, like like 
Tom Wham's sister or somebody uh, there. But anyway, you know, Tom Wham was one of the original TSR crew. Um, had some, uh, he might know, because he did some of the artwork back then, too. And so, I mean, I know we can contact him or... Um, oh, you have a line to him? No. <laughs> you <laughs> could probably catch him, forums. Yeah, or if you go to any of the conventions, he like, goes uh, to Game uh, Hole Gary or GaryCon. Yeah, he he's always Gary at GaryCon. Um, and I, don't I believe know he goes if, to Game Hole. I and, don't know if Larry Elmore would, because that was, he started getting into TSR in the early 80s, and I think when, uh, uh, Tramp was just doing the Wormy comic by then. I don't know if he had any interaction with Tramp at that time, but... I mean, wouldn't hurt to ask, I guess. Yeah. I would say the easiest way to ask would probably be just to log on to Dragon's Foot and ask. Because uh, they have the they have the dedicated uh threads to all the old guard out there and and I'm I'm pretty sure they could probably get a good answer from from that direction. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I know but we've had one. like Yeah, but we've had, you know, Larry and and some of the other folks uh, on the show before, I'm sure we could talk to him directly. Yeah, if he wants to wait till we we get that guest. But in the meantime, I would, you know, that would or be probably shoot him an email. <laughs> you know, we could. Yeah, I, I don't see why not. But as far as it sounds like, at least from us, I don't know. <laughs> what uh, maybe was if if TSR owned it, maybe Wizards of the Coast still has it because I remember they said they had that whole giant attic full of things that were TSR leftovers. Yeah, yeah. that's entirely that's right. Didn't they find too. like an old storage unit? Yeah, they were giving away stuff at one point because they found old like boxes of this and that, and they were selling other things that they found. Yeah, hmm. they might. Wizards of the Coast still might have some of that stuff because, as far as I know, Trent doesn't have any other living relatives. No? Oh, okay. Not that I'm aware of. Well, good luck getting it if Wizards of the Coast has it. It's probably in a vault that shall never be opened. Yeah. Let's use this for 6th edition artwork. No, it'll know. Either that or they'll be like, hey, let's just sell all of this stuff. Or like, here, here's party favors for the people we're laying off. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Cool. There's your answer. There's, well, somewhat of an answer. Sorry, we don't have any better one for you. Answer is, we don't know. Answer is, eh. Bad sound effect, okay. Next email comes from Nick. Nick, hey. Hey, no problem. I thought I'd surprise you guys. No, it's Nick in Texas. <laughs> Actually, it's Nick in Texas, so. Oh, okay. Nick in Texas, if you're in North Texas, you can always come join our games up here in North Texas. Shoot me an email if you are. Uh, I just listened to the hot off the press. See, even he's stuck in 1920 mode. Hot <laughs> off the press. Hot off the press issue number 150. You made reference to having available for download the additional G modules that were available through one of our old school friends. I uh, was looking around on the website, did not see a link for the download. Can you direct me to it? I'd love to pick up these additional modules for my collection. You will have them available for you as soon as we review them. And do a podcast on them with Mr. Thork in the back. Yay. So when we do it, we'll release them, and Matt will – I guess you could put them up on a share drive, Matt, or Yeah, something. I'll figure something out so that way the link will just be in the show notes. Mm-hmm. So we'll do G4 an episode. So after each episode. Yep. Each episode, we'll release one for free. 
courtesy of Mr. Thorkhammer. Because he's a swell guy. Yeah, he is a swell guy. He is. Uh, next issue. Next issue. Sorry. <laughs> next next email comes from Patrick. That's uh, a little bit of a long email. Hey, RFIers. Greetings from the crossroads of America, St. Louis. <laughs> hey, I lived there for a long time. I'm from Missouri. Are you? Just thought I'd drop that fact. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Chad fact number one. <laughs> he says, uh, I had an idea for a show. I think it would be interesting to have Frank Menser on to talk about the Temple of Elemental Evil. I've always been curious about the module, and I'm sure Frank would have uh, have good material for the show. I think you guys may have covered the module itself, but a discussion on the reasoning behind it would be fun. There's more to the email, but I'm just pausing in case anybody has any comments. I know we've uh, had Frank on in the past. A bunch of times. Yeah, but I don't think – yeah, we talked about some other stuff. We talked about – I don't think we specifically talked about the Temple of Elemental Evil, did we? No. I don't think I don't, we have. I don't think we did. Yeah, no. I actually sat in on one of those interviews. Yeah, I think we talked about some other products that he did for TSR. Yeah, we focused a lot on a mortal box set and things like that. Yeah, we talked about some of that. I don't, uh, but um, I'd have to revisit that that uh, that show because um, I think a, a show on Temple of Elemental Evil, yeah, it'd be a whole show in itself. There's a oh, lot. Yeah. Of, there's a lot of lore and stuff built up just around that. No, so. Village of Hamlet just by itself could be a show. Yeah, you sure, could do yeah. several on that. That's that's an entire campaign. Oh yeah. yeah. So, okay, we can cool. look into it. Sure, Frank's up to it. He continues. I also want to say I think it's ironic you guys named your show after one of the more controversial rules in old school Dungeons and Dragons. I'm pretty sure that every host on all the WGPN podcasts use a different method for rolling initiative. Yeah, we pretty much all do. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> have our little tweaks to it. Now he goes on to say, I have a couple questions for some hosts. The first one is for DM Matt and DM Vince. Whatever happened to that wrestling announcer who you have introducing your show feel free to go off on as long as a, a wrestling tangent as you like i get a kick how it annoys i get a kick out of how it annoys people <laughs> oh he's referring to michael buffer he's actually a boxing announcer outside of the fact he did do a few monday nitros he would only do the main event and got paid 10 grand to announce one match ridiculous his, he did the um, NWL pay-per-views, too. I remember that. Yeah, he did that and was getting paid ludicrous amounts of money. And his brother is actually, or actually I think half-brother, is Bruce Buffer, the announcer for the UFC. And they actually didn't even know each other existed until Bruce happened to be watching like a boxing match and saw, that guy looks a lot like me, and then asked his dad, Am I related to him? And the next thing you know, they ended up connecting like much later in life. Oh, because they because they didn't even grow up together. So yeah. anyway, that's your buffer family of announcers. Fun facts for the day. So should we go off on a wrestling tangent, Matt? Sure. Okay. Hey, I did just get done watching an entire uh, uh, sh uh, that that special, the uh, uh, WWE special on the Ultimate Warrior. Oh. Oh, how was that? I didn't watch it all yet. All right, just 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 They're poke me good. when you're done. Poke me when you're done. Good. I'm going to take a nap I, I, over here. Well, I forgot just how strange the character Ultimate Warrior was. Oh, yeah. Nutball. Yeah, he was kind of 
crazy. I, and uh, a friend of mine refereed in the WWF back in the 80s during his like world title run and whatnot. And yeah, he was probably the he said he was like the most hated guy in the locker room that he was ever around. No one liked him. Oh, no. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I just got from him that he never he, he never really jobbed, did he? He never really uh, uh, made somebody else look good no, by taking he, serious he, he, hits. I mean, from in the ring standpoint, he wasn't very good and he hit really hard. Yeah. And then plus he had a huge ego about him. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a the SummerSlam where it was Hogan and Warrior versus Slaughter and Non in the Iron Sheik. About a month or so beforehand, Warrior threatened to walk out of the WWF as part of contract negotiations if he didn't get like a quarter million dollars in like 1991 money. Yep. So, yeah. And so Vince paid that and then Warrior went out and did the match and then was uh, proceeded to be let go. Yeah. I always liked it when Goldberg took him down a peg. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm sure he loved that one in real life. Oh, yeah. Yes. Especially when you think about it, Goldberg and Warrior have quite a bit in common. Yep. Except Goldberg was actually liked and nice until people started getting into his ear. And then he just became a pain to work with because WCW was a cancer. This uh, locker room. And yeah, pretty much you had certain people in there that made sure everyone else was in fighting. So they kept their own power. They kept their power and spots. I actually I met him one time when I was working at the casino up in uh, Stamford, yeah. uh, Connecticut. He was actually trying to get into the casino. They had a WCW event there that night, and they security stopped him at the door, and they wouldn't let him through. So they called down uh, surveillance and supervision. So I came out of surveillance room, and I'm like, "Dude, why aren't you letting Goldberg through the door?" <laughs> like who? I'm like Goldberg, and I'm like, "Well, he has a bag. You won't let us look at." And I'm like, "It's probably the WCW Heavyweight Championship." Yes. And then Goldberg's like, yeah, it is. And he opened up the bag and he showed everybody the belt. And they're like, ooh. Yep. And then one guy's like, I don't know who he is. I don't care who he is. He has a bag and he wouldn't let me check it. I'm like, dude, come on. Yes. Um, a friend of mine is currently one of the New Japan IWGP tag team champions. So he gets the privilege of carrying around a giant freaking belt in his gear bag from when he's on airplanes. Not fun. Be- Over in Japan, it's not much of an issue because they kind of just leave you alone. and they But... When in the U.S. they find it, everyone wants to take the belt out and look at it and make a big old scene out. When all you want to do is get on your plane be- because your bag weighs an extra 15 pounds because you're carrying this giant metal belt. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't blame him for not wanting to take the belt out. The only other person I've seen with a belt blatantly out would be Chris Jericho with the Intercontinental Belt walking through the Mohegan Sun Casino after Monday Night Raw with a big grin on his face. Yeah. Like, you idiot. Probably, no, the best is uh, former UFC heavyweight champion Tim Sylvia. He would just go to, like, the local mall on a Saturday when he'd need to do his shopping and wear his belt. (laughs) Okay. Maybe his pants were falling down. No, he was just one of those horribly insecure people that didn't understand why no one liked him. Then he did stuff like that. He's like, but if I'm the champ, people will like me, no. Because the fact that you want them to like you because you're the champ means they won't like you. Uh, so all right someone want to poke nick what huh (laughs) (laughs) i I see our sleep spell wore off nick no yeah continuing with the email Uh, fire giants what he also wants to know have you read gaming at the world i know you read that nick right yes i have a copy of it 
If so, what did you think? And if you've already covered this, can you please direct me to the episode? We didn't cover it, but it's a fantastic read. I highly, highly recommend it. If you want to know more about the book and an in-depth talk about it, listen to Save or Die. They had him on the show and they interviewed him. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and he's actually been on the show a couple times since that initial interview, too. So they had about five episodes with him. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's great guy and wonderful book, and it goes to back. I mean, it's not just the history of the D and D of D and D, but it goes the history of wargaming in general. (laughs) And it's very. It is. It's like a scholarly take on wargaming and its history. It's really a, a history book with all the footnotes and, and all that. Be good for a class. Uh, yeah, it's a textbook. Mm-hmm. It would be like the textbook on wargaming, how it evolved, evolved into D&D. That's why Nick loved it because he's one of those nerdy book history. I have a degree in history. What do you want from me? <laughs> I'm like, come on. Hey, like, now, I spend my nights reading History of the Cold War. There's nothing nerdy about that. No, not at all. But uh, to kind of add on to that, there is... It's only to make your top secret games seem more interesting. That's why. That's right. Dang straight. <laughs> but uh, along with that book, Gaming at the World, I think kind of related to it, there is, I know, a documentary they're struggling to get out right now called The Great Kingdom. Oh, and there was a uh, basically a documentary on the early years of TSR up until I think like 85. And it's basically like that 10 year span from 75 to 85. And uh, there was a uh, Kickstarter for it. And I think it just stopped not too long ago. But the 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 people who made this movie has been struggling very hard to get it out and i've seen previews of it you know little snippets of it and it looks fantastic hopefully it'll be out very soon this looks like an actual really good documentary on D and tsr in general so cool yeah documentary cool 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 so finally he wants he follows up with can you guys talk about your process for adventure design and what you believe are the core elements of a good rpg adventure oh, also geez. yeah also would you have any tips for people who are planning to write adventures for self-publication maybe you can have someone like thor camera come on and discuss his or her his or her her process um thor camera will be with us next show so yeah he could talk about we'll ask him questions how he went about playing this out and everything so we'll hold all those questions off till the uh, Thor camera show. Mm-hmm. Thanks for all your hard work. You guys put in a great show, Patrick. Now, as far as the one question about like good, what was like a good campaign design or good adventure design? What do you believe are the, the core of the, what do you believe are the core elements of a good RPG adventure? <clears throat> oh gosh. <laughs> uh, like if I was making one or if like if I was going to buy one. I, he says adventure design right before that. So I would assume designing oh. one. Gosh, I don't know. This is really all opinion, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a subjective question. Yeah, it is very much so. I don't know. You could. Give, I would. You're going to have you really have to look at who your audience is. You know, who who are your players? Mm-hmm. Because 
I've, I've ran games at conventions where the players wanted constant action, and I've had other uh, adventures I've run for the same game where they wanted more story. I would say the best mm-hmm. way to put together a adventure that would please everybody would just try to find, try to try to hit that sweet spot between story and action because there there are two different sides of the coin. If if you're doing action all the time, there's probably not a lot of time for story, and if there's story all the time, then you get bogged down in the story and there's not as much action. Right. Right. And. I once heard an interview with uh, Sid uh, Meyer, the guy who made like the Civilization series, and mm-hmm. he talked about with game design. His concept of game design was always give the players interesting decisions to make. So mm. always have something for them to decide. Can how do we like say there's a room full of monsters? Okay, they got a decision to make. Do we try to sneak around this? Do we try to fight them? How do we fight them? Always have give them something interesting to be doing. It doesn't always have to be combat, but give them a series of interesting decisions hmm. to make. Yeah, I totally agree because it's it's especially and I ran across this myself when when I first started writing adventures was that it it becomes very easy to write an adventure and get really into it, love your idea and you're actually you're not leaving any decision making to the players you're having one scenario that automatically leads into the next really cool idea scenario that you had and pretty soon you're just narrating to the adventures the players you really have to remember that whenever you put something into the game if it doesn't matter as in in writing they have a phrase they call kill your darlings which means it doesn't matter how cool you think that that particular phrase or idea is you have to be willing to kill it because you have to be willing. You don't want to railroad your players, right? You can put a cool scenario in, but do, but make sure it's set up so that the players will decide where the next, where it leads. Right. You could have the greatest encounter ever designed, designed, but it could be not fit in your story. So your adventure so bad it ruins the entire adventure if it's there even though it's the greatest encounter standalone in the history of existence it may not fit your story it may not fit your adventure so you have to be willing to pull it out no matter how novel the idea is yeah so there and that wraps up all the emails we have for this week and we'll head into our first uh, segment of the night tail matters Typical of all the evil creatures in the world. I'd like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. <laughs> okay, folks. Here we are in table manners, and we're going to cover, well, I guess, would be the last of the original G series of modules. Module G3, all the fire giant Which, King. incidentally, was first played at Origins in 78. Yes, that's right. It was an Origin 78 tournament module. So turn back the Wayback Machine to 1978, put on your bell bottoms. Uh, Yep. And then there's actually... Crank up the sticks. Yep. There's even a write-up of the tournament for this in uh, Dragon Magazine 19 on page 3. Dragon Magazine number 19. Yes. Wow. 
how many Ettons is a fire giant worth? And it talks about some of the, the scoring system they used for it and some of the problems they had with it. Like, in this module, G3, no one actually made it all the way through. No! Yeah, I know. Really? I they don't made, believe uh, it. I think the one... Uh, the champions made it through like 60 rooms. That's not bad. Yeah. It, it, it was, it's also funny. They also talk about the D modules and yeah, everyone died ex in one of the modules to a demon except one group. So they won by you default. Dies, he dies. We all die. <laughs> but anyways, yes, G3 vicious monster it's everywhere and they will kill you. Yeah, of course. There's they will. lots of spots in this module where it's insta death. It can be. Yeah. And again, just like uh, like the G2 okay. series, the um, the environment in itself can be quite dangerous. Just at the start where they talk yeah. about when you're climbing up that slag heap and where like gouts of flame could be coming out of certain areas. Yeah. Yeah. Fifty percent uh, chance that you could if you <laughs> don't stick your head into any natural vents. 50% yeah. chance flaming gas is going to come out. Yeah, 2d6 damage just from that. Did you notice that when with that damage it says two hit dice and then it says 2d6? Mm -hmm. Why does it word it like that? When you think I hit dice, know. you think hit dice of monster automatically. Yeah, like 2d8, yeah. yeah I, was, I looked at it, I'm like, two hit dice. I'm like, oh, so it's 2d8. And then at the end it says 2d6. I'm like, wait a minute. He said hit dice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, what if that was a mistake or not, or maybe they were thinking something else? We should ask Mr. Al. <laughs> Let's see. No. <laughs> a one. A two. A three. You're and dead. Two. Yeah, and you're dead. Matt, now, like Chad, please. <laughs> <laughs> now, like Chad, where we're, we're kind of discussing it before we were getting into the show is... Oh, yeah, it's the great debate. The debate, like how you could interpret the area where the fire giants are, because you're either teleported there or because it sounds like most of the time you're going to be teleported there from the frost giant Yarl area where you pull down that lever at the very end. And each person's teleported not too far from the lair of the hall of the fire giant king. So it could be interpreted as you were teleported to what would be Muspelheim which is the land of the fire giants in Norse mythology, which is kind of connected with Asgard and all that jazz. Or you're teleported to an area which is like Muspelheim, which I'm kind of, <laughs> which I kind of take the thing on because there is a hex coordinate given in the 83 box set of where the hall of the fire giant king is. If you're using world of gray. Where is that? Uh, let me get that, that. They, they, they describe it as literally like a hell on earth. Well, yeah, because it's in the hell furnaces, which is a, which is an area of the world of Greyhawk. That is a, uh, mountain range towards the Southeast in the world of Greyhawk. And the hall of the fire giant King is in hex M five dash one thirty eight. Again, as the DM, it's your prerogative on You're how you right. do it. You're right, absolutely. I, I'd probably like to do it. Just Also, I'd like to do it just because it's fun to get out the old manual of the planes and have a use for it. But 
Also, it's I think it adds to a nice, uh, uh, you know, incremental buildup of the gravity of the situation. Yeah, you could do it that way. Absolutely. I mean, it's with having, though, uh, spoiler alert, the drow involved. How are they manipulating people on a different plane? Well, the drow, I don't think would have a big problem with that. The drow. First of all, they're emissaries. They're not even from this area, whether it's on the prime or not. Uh, they're powerful magic users. I think that it's very possible. We know that Muspelheim is an important place for the fire giants, and we know that the fire giants are, in effect, calling the shots, at least openly, to the other types of giants, which you, as a player, have already gone against in the earlier modules. I think that this would Muspelheim... Uh, would actually be quite a good place for them to do so. But that's just me. That would be in the game that I would run. And that's okay. And that's okay. (laughs) Uh, Continue. Yes, but yeah, moving along, however you interpreting that, again, you got the chart of the uh, Giants bag contents table. I love that table. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, we see that again. We see that in the other ones also. Yeah, so what's in a giant's bag? Yeah, what's in the giant's bag? But I Trouble. think what was more important in the area for the notes for the dungeon master, how how Gary uh, outlined to the DM that he he really says a note in a roundabout certain in a roundabout way. I think we were kind of getting to this even before we started the show and our our pre our our little warm up is. By this time, if there are survivors from the other two giant enclaves or some other giants that might be involved, the fire giants are going to be prepared. They're they're going to be ready and waiting for an attack. Definitely, especially considering if you killed their emissaries in the other two adventures, because they have emissaries mm-hmm. at the Jarl's uh, setting, they have emissary. I mean, at the at the chieftain's setting, they have emissaries at the frost at the Jarl's. Yes, yeah, so and that was made well aware. Killing them off. Steading. Yeah, not steading. Yeah, yeah it's steading. It's steading. Uh, Sorry. That's, that's okay because uh, I, I think Colin in one of the Dead Game Society podcasts called it a steading also. Yeah, well, <laughs> steading, steading to me. Like a homestead, out. essentially. Yeah, that's uh, what I was looking at it. But and definitely, what, this, what you have been doing in the prior modules is probably, I mean, I can't see how it is going unnoticed by this point in, in right. the third module. Right, exactly. Yeah, maybe you snuck into the rift without them hearing about what happened at the studding, but yeah, eh. that could happen. <laughs> but by I would say by module G two, the uh, there they know somebody's coming for them. Someone's gunning for them, and that information's gonna trickle down to Clavdra and the rest of her uh, clan, if you will. So and further beyond that. To uh, who's uh, in, who uh, Iklavla answers to. Right now, when I that. when I played this adventure, the way our DM did it was we didn't kill the Jarl. The Jarl, uh, yeah. he actually got away, and mm-hmm. uh, we followed him. That's why we knew to grab uh, that iron bar because we watched him do it. Sure. Well, the first thing he does when he goes uh, to the hall of the Fire Giant King is he lets them know why he's there. Dude, we got our butts kicked. <laughs> you know, he's more or less like, uh, you know, we need to get ready because they're coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're coming. 
And um, I I would also I would also I would be pretty convinced. I don't want to say pretty convinced, but I would say through the first two, there's always going to be some survivor. Someone's going to run away. Someone's going to turn and and try to and go to the next level, if you will. Because it, it just, you know, the, the the chaos of combat, when you get in the combat with all these different giants and whatever else is there, somebody is going to try to warn others, I would think. And yeah, it's I just going to trickle. So. I, I just think somehow information is going to trickle down to Eklavra and her boss, if you get my drift. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, they're going to be prepared. And you should, and as a DM, you should you know, take those things into account and which will make a much more intense situation, which why when you get into the first level here, one of the things that kind of irks me is area three, the throne room audience chamber. I mean, it's the third area you get into, into the module and there's, you know, there's the fire giant King sitting on his throne with his, with his pet hellhounds and and just a few guys around him. He's just sitting there. I mean, come on. He's going to have a lot more people around. I yeah, think and it's again, be a little more built up. When when I did the series, uh, that final fight was against the king, and and we didn't hit that room until the very end. And when we did, we didn't just have to fight the fire giant king. We also had to fight the frost giant Jarl. He was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically the fire giant king had taken all the big bad guys that we hadn't fought yet. And they were all there. That's how I did it too. When I, when, like when I did the Hackmaster version, pretty much the same thing might happen to you. Now the, the, uh, the, uh, the Jarl didn't survive, but there were other survivors that made it here. They alerted the fire giant king and mm-hmm. there were, there were more Ettons around. There were more fire giants around for sure. There were definitely some hill giants. And I think I think there were a couple of frost giants around too. I just I, – I beefed it up. It just made sense. Like, you know what? There were survivors. They made back. They warned the fire giant king. And they built up their defenses. So uh, yeah, it's just one of those things it. that – yeah. The Stedding uh, has that cloud giant. Cloud giants are fairly intelligent as giants go. Now, mm-hmm. he may not have gone. He he probably, if he saw the tide of turn, uh, the tide of battle turning back in G1, mm-hmm. he may have skipped G2 altogether. He may have made his way straight to the fire giant king to, to let him know what was going yeah, on. He probably didn't think... stick around to fight to the death. So he right. might be there too. Now you got and... a cloud giant you got to fight. Yeah, and I believe in this module there is some allowance for that. It, I forget which room it is, but it's a if the uh, hill giant chief survived, he's here with a few other people. So yeah, I could totally that's, see that. That too. could conceivably happen. Absolutely. So that hall area two and and three, I would think by that time it's the the defenses are going to be going to be beefed up he's going to have all of his hellhounds there he's going to have maybe even the queen Froopy there i love that name Froopy. she (laughs) might be there as well and um yeah Froopy, and a few others i mean it's going to be a huge ugly fight right from the get-go 
Right. From a no, run, I, uh, from a DM standpoint, I would say before you run this adventure, really <laughs> take some time and put together a strategy. Well, first of all, figure out do they know the party's right. coming? If if you decide they know, then you really need to take some time and figure out. Uh, put together a, a, a plan of battle for them because yeah. they're not just going to be treating life as usual, hanging out in their assigned right. rooms. They're going to be on alert. Guards are going to be doubled. They're going to set up other, maybe like, I think I set up like some more ballista traps here and there. Um, I didn't have the drow show up yet, but I had the hill, the, the fire giant king take the descent, defenses up front as his like area responsibility maybe that's what he clavra told him what to do uh but because i didn't want to do the big reveal until later on if you get my drift right well you bring so. up a good point too uh nick because you bring up the fact that in this adventure now you were saying you didn't so much have the drow in in it when you ran it but if you if just if you're running it kind of more or less by the book uh they were in it when i played it oh they uh, were in mine too Oh, okay. But, but they well, just weren't part of the initial front defense that the... Oh, yeah. I don't think they would be the front defense. But no. an important thing to remember, they're very crafty and very intelligent. And they're the advisors to the fire mm -hmm. giant king. So would, when you're would, coming up, they're telling yeah. him more or less how to defend his place. Yeah, maybe craft some traps, maybe you know, uh, uh, things of that nature. So some pretty nasty traps. I would even harbor to I would I would even maybe throw in that ten headed pyrohydra that's in area eight in the cave if you really want to be a statistic a sadistic DM. I forgot know. to mention the Queen's room was the first place you see the instant death for the if you roll natural twenty. Yeah, that's true. And I yeah. If if she's not with the king, that's actually a good point. That uh, the first insta death area uh, with Kring, Kring Frumpy or Froopy, where the heck her name is, because she's sitting like on a on a raised area, mm -hmm. and they anybody who sees her fire giant not must kneel on her in her august present and state their business, so they may fairly she may fairly dispose of their humble requests. Any so foolish to do so will be sorry. <laughs> Because <laughs> she will either kill him or her, her giant weasel pets will come and get him. Because don't forget, giant weasels, they drain blood, which drain hit points. Yep. And yep. that's where she's got um, her she's advantage. Got, yeah. And she's got the advantage where she is. I'm not sure what she's armed with. Is it with a long sword? I forget what she's armed with. But if she scores a natural 20 from where she's at. She has decapitated the victim of her attack. A natural point. No save, no nothing, no... no. Yeah, Just natural 20, you're decapitated, yeah. you're dead. Yeah, she yeah. has an iron scepter. Iron scepter, okay. Yeah, which does 17 to 42 hit points of damage. Even oh, yeah, well, what it. is a scepter for a fire giant? I mean, that's, right, that's, right. that's, that's like, like a, a telephone light pole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, she hit you with a telephone pole. Exactly. Okay. You know, Take and five here's to 30 something plus four damage. <laughs> I would also plus suggest eight. that one thing I the guy that I used to have as my my DM enjoyed doing was he give us an enemy like that would recur, right? The recurring enemy. You could do that all the way back in the Hill Giants, 
uh, or you could do that with the frost giants. But it's fun to have a recurring enemy that does escape the carnage and, and is there mm-hmm. to meet you on the next one. Right. So, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it was the uh, the hill giant chieftain. He's kind of a craven. You know, the other giant rulers see him as a more or less as a dwarf. And he acts kind of craven and cowardly, and that's why he goes straight to the fire giant. Uh, maybe he doesn't even get killed in this adventure or whoever you choose or create, but right. they then move on down the D series. That's something interesting to do, too. Sure. Yeah, that can definitely happen. Now, inside her chamber, there is a casket. <laughs> casket number two. I love this because this is just how. This, I think, as a DM showed, even at this time, in 1978, how crafty players are and how tough Gary Gygax had to make it on the players to find certain things. Because you read the description on on, on uh, casket number two, uh, it holds 4,000 copper pieces like number one, but it has like number of platinum pieces covered by a spell so that they will appear as coppers until they are taken out of the chamber. Okay. Love that. And the iron chest has a trick opening to the side, which allows the person to get its contents. It's a jade box with a hidden compartment, which can only be detected by means of X-ray vision or true scene slash sight spell. I mean, like a gem of seeing. Yeah. So <laughs> he's making all of these secret compartment stuff like they can only be seen by this and this and this, which means. Even back then, in the the mid the late seventies, the uh, players were very very smart, and the game wasn't even that old. They were already starting to figure out things. Yeah, it's another good uh, uh, example. Also, uh, I could see a player going, "Well, I'm an elf, and I mm-hmm. get my one in six chance or two in six chance." And right. the DM, this was Gary saying, "I don't care." You don't. Because yeah, I'm designing it this way. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter what the rule book says. This is how it works. Mm-hmm. There's also one of the coffers in her area. There's a, um, a jeweled pendant with a stone that has flashes of color appearing from its inky depths. And in parentheses says it's a wizard eye device fashioned by the drow and allows them to see through it. Uh-huh. So... You might find That's that little nice. find might find that little item, not knowing what it actually is. <laughs> you just know it magical. Yeah, and good luck sneaking into the D series. Right, if you had that around your neck, and they can see through it, like like. In not only that, they camera. know. You're not going to surprise them with with your abilities either. Mm-hmm. They they know they'll know exactly if you get to where you're going into there. If you start taking out the the fire giant king. By that point, the the ones that are watching, they they know everything. They have yeah. that you can do. They're going to be told. Their defenses are going to be specifically geared to your party. Right, exactly. They will be. They'll be ready. And the last item I thought was funny is uh, the queen has a potion of fire giant control. She uses from time to time on the king. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, homie. Yeah. Honey, I would like to get this. Oh, sure. (laughs) These aren't the droids you're looking for. Um, That also tells you how 
crafty she is. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's the maybe she's the brains behind the throne. That's kind of what I'm thinking too. Who's the actual brains behind the whole fire giant yeah. area? It might be the maybe, queen, to be honest. Yeah, maybe she was the one who helped forge the alliance with the drow. Maybe she was a, the original go-between. Maybe she That's was the tr- one they went it to would first. Be, it would explain why she has that pendant too. Yeah, they might have given it to and her. As a, as a gift. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Little did she realize that the gift has a wizard eye on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so moving along, so you'll there's some more guards, but the, you get the King Snurry's private quarters. And the thing about the quarters, and then you find the cave with the pyrohydra we talked about, and then the treasure cave. So the pyrohydra kind of acts like a guard dog, <laughs> if you will, to the treasure cave. Which is area nine. There's a lot. This is like the. Uh, how would I describe this? This is like the big payoff. Big payoff number one, you might want to call it, because mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of different trun- trunks, chests, and coffers. And just a few I want to kind of highlight because there's so many is, is like trunk number four is. There's a blade in the lid, and it chops down like a fire giant, and it may destroy part of what's inside, which is three cubic feet of silk worth 3,000 gold pieces, and it'll ruin two cubic feet of it if it misses the players. So you might have some ruined items in there. Um, let's see. What, there was another one that I thought that was interesting. Chest number one. Or, I'm sorry, trunk number eight. It holds nine large asps of six hit point each with plus two poison. Invisibility hides all contents, including the asps. <laughs> so you can open this thing up. Oh, nothing in there. And if you don't say that you're shutting the lid, these invisible asps are going to be, you know, maybe getting out. Biting adventuring party, biting the adventuring party, and possibly killing. Because remember, being first edition to AD&D, poisons, it's save or die. Unless you want to use the actual poison damage chart in the DMG. But normally, it's save or die, right? Right. So, um, <laughs> there you go. Now, and there yeah. was the other, yeah. Well, I was so, just going to say, and don't forget, uh, again... If uh, if the fire giant king is building up his his final defense or or if he has put the place on red alert, it's very possible that a lot of the goodies that are in there are no longer in there. Because why would if they have great weapons and items, why are they going to leave them there yeah. when they're why under Why would assault? they not use them? Exactly. They're going to use I them. Think they would. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. They may not use the ring of delusion that has the uh, <laughs> the killer poison why on not the side of it. No, why not use trunk number eight as a trap? The adventure party comes inside. Maybe they rig it up to where, you know, as soon as they come in, they pull the chest open and eight invisible or nine invisible ass start writhing around and, and biting the sure. adventuring person. Or they, they, leave the, uh, they leave the ring of delusion out to be seen. You know, they, right. they, they may leave items out to be seen, but they may be mm-hmm. items they don't want to use. Yeah, but why could not soften use- the party up. Some of these chests and coffers and stuff that are trapped, why not use them as traps at the very beginning? I can't see why not. Well, another one was chest number one I was going to talk about. was uh, It contains weakness gas, which 
will form a 10-foot radius cloud. And the, and the other than that, the chest is empty. I, I'm like, well, okay, weakness. So what does this do? Am I going to use, like, the stuff for a ring of weakness to stat this out how it works? Or am I going to kind of use the reverse of a strength spell? That was kind of a question for me. I didn't know how that was, how that worked. I, yeah, I guess that's a good question. I, I guess I'd probably use it like a temporary, like a, a ring of weakness, you know, like yeah. one use. Yeah, I think that's what was implied here. But All I right. guess area of effect, one use. Yeah, yeah, maybe it could be like that, which could be kind of nasty if you look up the ring of weakness in the DMG, how it oh, yeah. strengthens. Well, and it would certainly fit in the module. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Or if you're not as sadistic as a DM, then you could say, oh, okay, maybe it w works like the reverse of a strength spell. I guess you could, it depends on how, as a DM, you would want to work it, you know? So mm -hmm. that was one of those I kind of had a question about. So that one's definitely up for interpretation. Um, some of the other chests, I thought, well, there's the chest number three, which squirts acid. Um, the chest number four with spikes. Uh, the other one, okay, coffer number one. And this is really the only other one I thought was kind of, or, or chest number three, I'm or six. <laughs> There's so many of those. <laughs> I'm losing track. But chest number six has the lock and handles have contact poison plus six on them. And all those that touch and save them at minus six. But inside, I think, is kind of the the first glimpse of maybe what you might be dealing with because there's a black cloak, a pair of black boots, and man-sized. You have 75% chance to be invisible, move silently in dungeons. Kind of sounds like drow material, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, from an out-of-character standpoint. Now, remember, right. at this point, your characters should have no idea what drow yeah, but, but maybe these are like the first inklings of what they might be dealing with here. So this might be, these might be a cloak and boots of, of drow workmanship. They have them. They might not know what they are, but they seem very, they're unusual. They've never been seen before. Right. It's, a, it's an alien fabric that mm -hmm. they've never come across before. As a team, now, I would say we would play it up that way. Now, if you're playing, now your characters that are in this game should be very high level, at least on average ninth level. Uh, so you're probably talking nine plus level into the tens. Uh, now, if, if you have an elf, especially like a gray elf uh, mm -hmm. player member, that's one area I would probably make a roll on his wisdom check mm -hmm. to see uh, uh, first, does he remember the drow? And then I might make an intelligence check as he checks the, the clothes to see if he detects that it's like spider silk. And if that's the case, then I might be more willing to pull the player aside and say, your guy is starting to get a nasty suspicion because deep in your memory, you're, yes. uh, you, you haven't thought about him in a long time, but there was the enemy of the drow. And this, the, the craftsmanship is just like what they would do. The horror the, uh, from ages past has finally reared its ugly head, and you suspect exactly it's the drow. Yeah, there's so only there one go. group that makes spider silk clothing, that, and mm -hmm. their character might know that. 
And that's how I would probably start cluing them in. But I only if they first remembered it, you know, that's why. And I those blast points, check. much too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, I would say uh, uh, an elven high level character, he would be the only one who would really have an in-character and, reason. And, and, and if I was the player, if I, if the DM approached me like this along the side, I would play it up like my character is in sheer abject terror. Yeah, yeah. Or, and everybody's or, like, what's wrong? I don't they should definitely look you. troubled. Not just troubled, but disturbed and downright scared. <laughs> so I would play it up like that. Um, I like the coffer with all the different well. rings in it. <laughs> So, uh, oh, you know what? Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I would say they might, they might be troubled. They might even be angry because mm -hmm. there's a, there's a, you know, they might be like, ah, now we really have to take this plot yeah. out because we know who's behind it now. Yeah. So, well, they don't know I though. I would yeah, stress it'd be to like the like player. A whole range of feelings. Yeah. It'd yeah. be like a whole range of feelings, anger, fear, um, betrayal. Revenge. Yeah. I was hurt. I felt betrayed. Yes. <laughs> But like, okay, and then they have the coffer with all those different rings in it. I like that one. <laughs> and yeah, that one, oh, hopefully, I'm sure by this time, most of any party has like a wand of magic detection. So you got some pretty cool rings in there. And another ring of three wishes. I think that's number two in the whole series right now. Mm -hmm. But in a way, you kind of need them. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah know. i probably i don't know in my game i i would knock one of them out i probably yeah. put the one in this adventure it's yeah. not so much in the other one otherwise their players are going to start yawning when they find rings of wishes <laughs> and then there's um coffer number four which has all those weird idols in them where you can get cursed i thought that was for pretty cool too and and one of those you can probably tie into what's uh, what's going on later on in the module, maybe? You know, some weird unknown gods. But um, kind of moving along here in the first level is um, I, I the other area I thought was very interesting because looking up in Greyhawk lore is this dwarf who has been a advisor, but slash prisoner of King Snur, Ob Obmi. I can't, it's a hard name. O-B-M-I, Obmi, I guess. Yeah, I think it's like Obmi. Obmi. He's an interesting character. He's in the Area 12, the Advisor's Chamber. He's a dwarf, fighter thief, 9-11 level, respectively. Um, but he's been an advisor for about 25 years to the king, but five years... And prior to that, he was a slave, but he earned the Fire Giants King's, uh, I guess, confidence and trust. And he acts as his number one advisor. Um, he's an interesting guy because doing some research on Abmi, his he is actually a reoccurring villain in the original Greyhawk campaign. Oh, really? Uh, yes. Let me elaborate. Okay, please. Yes. Uh, Omni, in the original Castle Greyhawk campaign, 
is found on one of the levels. He's near the center of one of the levels, I believe, level three. And uh, he is surrounded by some gnolls, and uh, he he becomes this villain against the party. And he escaped uh, the original uh, forays of the characters when they first went into that level, and they, they attacked him. He he escaped and then eventually he became he got caught I guess by the fire giant king and he is seen again, <laughs> so he's become this sort of reoccurring villain in Greyhawk lore, not too well known but in the uh, there that um, Mega Dungeon module we did a review on a while back, the uh, the uh, yeah okay. He is he is present on level three, Omni. So if you want to do like a whole kind of mm. arc with that villain, you could with Castle Greyhawk and kind of lead it into the giant series if you wanted to. Yeah, not only that, but I was thinking you could take him, and he could be he could act as a courier mm-hmm. or snur. He could actually be as early as as G one. Uh, he might not be what i would probably do with them is make him uh try to if if things are going bad and he gets discovered in g1 uh mm-hmm. he, he tries to fool the players into thinking that he's a you know that he's another prisoner uh then he might betray them at some point and then they see him again when they get into g3 or he may be with them all the way up into g3 waiting for the perfect opportunity right. to betray them all and maybe he's a duriger because they didn't have monster manual too in this right game. well they just wrote him up as like i guess either like a hill dwarf or a mountain dwarf but yeah. he's definitely evil right would, and and again they say... didn't have monster manual too at that right time, right right so. So I would say, you know, he's definitely evil, whatever alignment beyond that, maybe neutral evil, I would think. I would think he was like neutral evil, how he would act. But um, along with him, he has some, one of the, I guess just one of the little things that they didn't really elaborate on. He has plus two armor. They don't say what it is. <laughs> I would guess plate mail. Probably. Or chain mail. <laughs> or chain. He probably, he's a fighter thief. He's probably, it's probably chain. I don't know. And he mm-hmm. has a shield. He's got some great magic items. Yeah. Plus three hammer, gauntlets, ogre power, great stuff. Yeah, can um, you imagine if he journeyed with you through the other two adventures and helped you out and, and yeah. like real grateful, and then at the very Quote, end, he yeah. betrays the entire Quote, part. Quote, helped you out, exactly, because he knows a little bit about the drows, it says in here, because he will Which, bargain that or anything yeah. else to save his life. Which could, so. you know, again, that could even be more reason why I'd probably interpret him as a duriger because they're yeah. – dark you also can do that. Right? yeah why not yeah and uh sure. but yeah he might even show up again in the d series because mm-hmm. this is a, i see him as an opportunist he's sure. not going to sit there at the final battle and stick it out with the other guys he's going to save his own skin yeah that's why i kind of interpret him as kind of like neutral evil in alignment mm-hmm. i mean he's gonna he's gonna be kind of selfish and do whatever he wants but for evil means no matter who the he'll go to whoever's the strongest Right, whoever can benefit him and protect him. Mm-hmm. It, that could be King Snoor, that could be a Clavdra, whoever it may be. Mm-hmm. He so, might even be a spy for the Drow. Could be. Mm. Who knows? That's another twist that you can add to the whole plot. Mm-hmm. So 
Mo moving along again in this level, you got there's uh, a council room that's area 13. Really? And one of the things I thought that was interesting in the area is like sub area B, there's an alcove where there's all these different pieces of paper, parchment, scrolls. But on the 68th scroll tube, there contains a set of instructions for the king telling him to gather forces of hill, stone, frost, and fire giants along with whatever strength he can raise and ogres, ogre magi, cloud giants, or any other creatures for an all-out attack on the provinces to the east and north, northeast. And the scroll promises powerful help from, quote-unquote, drow, and is signed a clavdra. Now, when I did this, I actually wrote out the note <laughs> of what it says. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. So, um, I when they discover that like that scroll, I actually wrote out the note in some really cool font that I found, and I actually rolled it up and kind of, um, uh, and made it look kind of interesting. Um, so when they find this, this is almost it's almost like the big reveal here of what's and going on. Prop pretty much for the party. Yeah. Yeah, cool. the info dump. <laughs> Yeah, this is like the big info dump here. But um, so I, I I think as a DM, if if you like to use props, this is like one area you can really make a really cool prop of a simple, you know, thing that you can print off a printer. Do some of those little uh, weathering techniques that you can pick up on, uh, whether those may be, and make a really cool prop to use for your players and and it'll be a very memorable moment. But uh, oh Vince, yeah, you, don't you forget. You want to talk about an area too? Oh yeah, uh, but uh, yeah. Well, I was so, just going to say it, another thing too. They find this scroll, right? And mm -hmm. and it's got the real info. But if by chance you had heard our episode here and you were deciding to use Obni as a as a spy, what you could do is have Obni. He's spinning it. So, you know, he, he, he's, he's, he's trying to color the way the players per, uh, 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 translate or, or perceive the information that mm -hmm. they just found. Yeah, he could give he – could, he could even confuse the players even more like they find this note. He might say something in the contrary. Who knows? He could form a bit of confusion into the party as well. Right. It's, you know, like, oh, I wouldn't trust it. You know, the, the, yeah. they're, they're constantly trying. This was probably a, a false clue left behind, you know, or right. something. Because he probably wouldn't like the fact that they found. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, but you were you were saying, Vince, that... Um, oh. Mentioned, did we did we uh, discuss level eleven because that uh, level area eleven because that's the other insta death area if you mess with that altar that you find in there. Oh yeah, I'm gonna get to that. Yeah, we yeah that's got, my favorite room in the entire place. Yeah, level two. That's and yeah, because there's really only one more uh, area on level one that I thought it was interesting that kind of leads up to level two is the guest chamber with the Roxashas in it. Now, you go through this whole first level, and then all of a sudden, the, the party stumbles upon these three Roxashas. Now, how would those fit into the whole thing? Well, doing a little research on the Roxasha 
myth that came from Hindu mythology, they're kind of like demons in a way. They're they have they have magical powers. They 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 um they are keepers of knowledge, but they're also through Hindu mythology, they're cannibals. They eat humans. They love the taste of human flesh. And like in Rakshasa mythology, which was translated into D&D, if you hit one of these with a crossbow bolt that was blessed by a cleric, they instantly die. How this ties into the module is I would kind of play up the Rakshasas of being worshippers of the elder elemental god. I think that would work perfectly. Yeah, you could do that. You could do that. I see them more as a not yet fully swayed uh, group that the Rakshasa uh, are, are extremely smart, but they're mm-hmm. also kind of playing their own game. And they're probably, at least in my game, they're, they're there because they don't want to miss the boat if what happens works. You know, they mm-hmm. know the drow are smart. They know they could probably possibly pull this off. Uh, but they're waiting for they're, – they're, they're basically sticking around to see how it's how all going to turn play out. out. If things look good, they're going to jump on the bandwagon. If not, they're going to go their own way. Uh, I like the uh, – but we're going to get into the next place that gets – fully into the uh uh the we haven't we're, we need to cover that room with the with the elder elemental god oh but, yeah oh, but yeah, you're I'm right i think they could definitely you could use them in that direction definitely right maybe it, if not necessarily maybe they are priests of the Ella, elder elemental god uh maybe they have some sort of i don't know uh because they are like keepers of mystical knowledge, maybe they're giving some insight into the worship of the elder elemental god. But they could also play it as, hey, maybe, you know, as a faction, they're kind of seeing how things play out. Like you said, Chad. I mean that. I mean, depending as a DM, how you would work that. So, mm-hmm. I thought just that was an interesting area. Like, why are these Raksasha here? <laughs> you know, as a DM. How could you work that into the module to kind of give it some logic, internal logic, I suppose. So definitely. Yeah. So that's level one. Some interesting areas, some things that you need to elaborate on and some background on some things. So level two. All right. Now we're going to get into some real hardcore meat and potatoes of the whole module. If you survive Uh, this long. If you survive this long, absolutely. <laughs> and again, it would help you to survive this long if you're not trying to hit every single room one after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, just some uh, interesting places of note is area four. I thought the storage room that might not sound interesting, but there's hill giants there. And that's one of the places illustrated in a module. If the hill giant, uh, if the hill giant leader of the hill giants survived, he's probably here with the rest of his um, his clan, if you will. So he's probably hunkered down here. Mm. Then there's the smithy, where if you're careful, hopefully <laughs> you get a hold of a really cool magic item that the blacksmith was working on. It's a magical mace, which is plus four. 
and it's made of some black metal. And it does, I guess, one to 12, the small to medium creatures, and one to eight versus man size, or one to 12 versus small. Or, um, bleh, let me get back on this. <laughs> one to 12 versus man size, one to eight versus larger opponents. And it's a plus four magic item. But there's a two and six chance he might kick it into the lava. <laughs> that that uh, he's work uh, that he's working around in his, in the smithy. Wouldn't so, that ace be like giant size? To be honest, I don't know. It doesn't say that. But one would think it would be. You could, I I guess so. Then it would be completely useless to the party. I, I don't know. I would just. Why would he be working on a? a, a a mace that's too small for giants to hold. Yeah, unless Maybe he's forging it, was, it for the drow. That's the only thing I could think of. Maybe he's for, for unless it drow. grows like a ring, like a ring of protection fits the user. No, yeah. no, 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 no. I don't know. I mean, it works on it works on one metal. Well, I would I, think it would be a normal size mace because, um. Because they do say if he is attacked, there's a two and six chance he'll throw it into the lava if the the encounter is going against him. So I would think it could be something be used by the adventuring party. So maybe it was a, an item that was requested to made for the drought. I don't know. That's one of those weird things. Yeah, it, it 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 is. It's kind of a. It's kind of an enigma. It's like, why is this mace here? And would it be useful to the party? I don't know. Yeah, that's where as a DM, you can again decide, do you even want it? Or do you, you could, you could, you could uh, substitute mm -hmm. it with something else. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it seems to me like, huh, I'm a blacksmith. I'm working on giant size stuff. So let me just today decide to make a mold of something really small because, you know, maybe someone will come kill me and take it. Right. Right. It doesn't make any sense to me, but or, I guess with the drow... Yeah, unless he's making it for the drow, it doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah, it de you're right. It doesn't. So I would think he's... I guess one of the things you do, like you said, you could, maybe he's making it for the drow. So, I don't know. Maybe he's branching out to new territory. Yeah, maybe. Then you have the torture chamber. Area 7. <laughs> Where it has a bunch of interesting uh, characters. There's an elven female for sacrifice to the temple, which we'll talk about here shortly. And if she's rescued, she's going to reward you a lot of money, a lot of magic items, and you'll get it one to two months later. How? I don't know. Because yeah. if you're going to go further along in the series, you're never going to see this stuff. Check <laughs> in the mail. Yeah. Um, though um, you could get some hirelings or henchmen out of this. There's some male elves you might rescue. Couple, a couple of centaurs. Um, they might be able to help you. There's a really ticked off troll <laughs> that they've been poking at. And then there's this human female that she's a thief. And they don't say, again, what alignment she is. But I'm kind of thinking she's uh, neutral. Well, just on her description. They say she's casing out the party too at one point in the description. Right, but she'll she'll help out the party, but at the same time, yeah, she's casing out to see who she, how much stuff she can you know pilfer off of them. But you know, here's something else I like to do with that character. You don't necessarily have to make her 
betray the party. This is a perfect opportunity for when somebody does lose a character, give them this character and let them play it. Because we used to do that all the time, especially in Call of Cthulhu, where you drop oh, characters sure. so fast. But she she could become a replacement character, and then you don't have to work out. Uh, well, gee, okay, yeah, you can you can play again. Just create another character, and they'll pop into existence. You right. know, hey, we're attacking all the fire giants. Want to join us? Sure, why not? Sure. Uh, you know, other than that, I would throw if if you do lose a character and they don't want to use her. Uh, this would be a perfect place to throw their character into the game. Yeah, absolutely. You, I, that was one of the ways I was thinking that you could use her as well. If someone has a character that dies, they can pick this up, use it as a new PC right there. Boom, you're done. Even some of these other um, prisoners, like the eight male elves, you maybe can roll up some stats real quick. Or if you really want to go uh, on a, out on a limb, Maybe one of those centaurs, if you want to get into having a centaur as a player character. What about a titan? <gasps> yeah, I was going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, he's an yeah. interesting one. Yeah, in Area 14C, which is like a sub-area of Area 7, the titan. This is where the party is going to get their version of, well, like, ah, the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> but if he chooses person, to help you um i think he will if the party is the mostly good aligned i think he will because this and i looked up the stuff on the titan i'm like oh my gosh if this guy gets aligned with the party oh but the remember they're gonna have to wait 20 hours yeah yeah well He's drugged what what party doesn't have like neutralized poison available somewhere uh, i've seen parties that didn't take that yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. So they'll have this like drugged up Titan running around with them, which would be hilarious to say the least. So yeah, one of these Titans is one of the prisoners, and he was going to be. Now I don't believe it says it, but I get the impression that the Titan was going to be a big sacrifice to the elder elder elemental god. It's the only rationalization really? in there. Yeah. I, I don't I, know. I didn't see that. I saw him as a spy that was captured. No, I think he was – I think he might – well, captured, sure. But ultimately, yeah, I, I think he's he going to be sacrificed. He's going to be sacrificed to the elder elemental god for sure. Perhaps. I mean remember, if the drow are involved in this, the drow ultimately worship Lolf. And this is where as a demon Not you could even – Right. These. And that's where I'm going with this. This should – this – Maybe uh, maybe a different faction that are of Drow that are here. And uh, in, in, in my game, I like the Titan to be to represent a spy simply because that also foreshadows that maybe the party has some allies they don't know. Well, about. yeah, but a spy for who? That's mm -hmm. what I'm getting at. Maybe they have allies they don't know about. Maybe there right. are other interested parties that are interested in stopping this. And this is a place this is a point in the adventure where the characters should start thinking maybe they need to find out maybe the titan can fill them in on on mm -hmm. this other group you know this is this could maybe the other group then uh encourages them to move on into the d series sure. but uh, but definitely and definitely he could he could be both he could have been a spy captured 
And now he's going to be uh, sacrificed to the elder elemental god. Yeah, that's how I would kind of play it up as. Absolutely. If Which, he, yeah. I was going to say, if he helps the party and then the party gets to like him and everything, and then he dies, do they have time to remember the Titan? Never mind. <laughs> yeah, remember the Titan. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. I couldn't read this. Come on. Meanwhile, which leads us into really one of the culminating points, the culminating point of, of the series is areas 9, 10, and 11, the yeah. Temple of the Eye. This is where basically some secrets are revealed, but some secrets even go more, more deep. So I'm not going to read the whole descriptions and everything. No, no. 9 through 11, when it, it's kind of like a larger version. If you think back to module G1, that mm-hmm. quote-unquote abandoned temple, yeah, it's got the same vibe, same. the same feeling of oh, of yeah. unease, insecurity, evil, chaos, death, destruction. Um, Gygax uses a really um, he uses a description of strange swirling light, eddies of luminosity drift and swirl here and there causing the whole scene to be strange and uncertain. So you have globs of mauve and violet seem to seep and slide around. So the colors are very important. Mauve, purple, whatever it may be. Um, There's also um, the servants and thralls worship area, which even if you can get into (laughs) um, is kind of creepy because there's like these small pillars that separate it from the rest of the temple. And if you go in between them, you get this mild feeling of fear, but also um, passing between any two pillars, you get two to eight hit points of electrical damage. Double that if you're wearing metal armor. Yeah. And the wall to the east shows a scene of various creatures crawling, then creeping up to a huge, vaguely squid-like creature with ten hairy tentacles. In the forefront of this mass self-sacrifice are elves and men, but there are also dwarves, gnolls, orcs, trolls, halflings, ogres, goblins, etc. amongst the crowd. Those near monsters are being torn apart and the bloody gobbets eaten as dainty morsels. Yeah. And there are three of these ghastly things modeled various shades of tint of purple and violet. That is your elder elemental god who goes by the name of, I'm going to see if I can pronounce this right, Vilp Akfikchu Rentok. Bless you. Thank you. Yeah. Or Rentok for short. We'll just call him Rentok. Yeah. Now, this elder elemental god, Rentok. Now, I originally got kind of confused with Tharzadun, which I guess a lot of people, when you look into the back of the Greyhawk lore, the whole thing. He's also called, yeah, the elder elemental god. He's also a one of the elder elemental gods. Apparently, there's three of them. There's this Rentok fella. There's Tharzandu, and there's one, there's a third one. They formed 
this unholy elder elemental god trinity, if you will. And the uh, greater god, uh, Rentok, the elder elemental god, came into Greyhawk. He, basically, he's like the version of like uh, Cthulhu or Yog Sothoth. Yeah, from, I'd call him Yog Sothoth. Yeah, he basically, yeah, he's like Yog Sothoth, and um, he is worshipped on Greyhawk by various evil, degenerate creatures because he came into Greyhawk into the Under Earth and. and when the god Pelor foreshone and drove out Tharzadun, the elder elemental god skulked into the dark recesses where it slowly regained its powers. So it kind of took in where Tharzadun was at. And over time, the elder elemental god drew the attention of evil giants. Hence why some of the giants, they are worshipping the elder elemental god. And over time, I guess there was this big battle uh, with the Elder Elemental God and Biori, which is a major god in Greyhawk. And what happened was, she's, and I'm reading from this, she smote the evil god with her powerful staff, instantly changing the Elder Elemental God into a column of stone. She followed this with a second terrible blow and reduced the comma column to rubble. This is very important because what happened was because this is like a battle of between two giant gods, almost like titans, whatever you want to think about. These shards were scattered throughout the underearth in subterranean caves, labyrinths, and rifts. Most are hidden between mountain range, beneath mountain ranges, deep gorges, oceanic abysses. And in these places that the depraved worshippers of the elder elemental god may be found. These shards, I would say, are the altars that they use. Oh, yeah, definitely. I could totally see that. And this this is a really probably my favorite room in the entire adventure because this is where I think the player's finally get that hard evidence that's that that there is something bigger really bigger going on mm -hmm. with, with all the giants and i actually run the drow as uh because i have to have my reasoning for what how the drow originally contacted the giants and i like to think that they promised the giants that they could resurrect this old they knew the secrets of bringing back the goodwill of shintok the greater uh, the elder elemental god and in the in the course of doing that, they also started manipulating the giants, and mm -hmm. and 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 this is so this this is this is your hook into the D series at least for me. This is my favorite hook at least to get them into the D series, because now we're seeing direct interaction between the giants and the drow, yeah. uh, and we're seeing the the cold manipulation really at work. Now I like the room because. Uh, when I came into this room, I was playing a lawful good paladin, and I actually spit on the altar, which if you read the uh, the description, if anybody touches or attacks the altar, some bad things happen. Yeah, uh, potentially and, some bad things could happen. And exactly. That's why, it actually brings and that's why the elemental god. It seems like 
Right, because these are the shards of Rentac imprisoned. Mm -hmm. And what exactly. they're trying to do is try to find as many of these shards as these can, bring them together, and perform the ultimate sacrifice to bring the Elder Elemental God into the world of Greyhawk. Right. And if you if you do, as the book says, summon uh, Rentak or the elemental, Elder Elemental God, you're probably at this point getting a weaker avatar version of him because you don't have all the shards. And uh, you don't always – now, the book says it gives listed uh, – listed uh, what will happen, you know, or, or if you roll a dice, I think it's like a 1d10 or 1d6 and different things could happen. Uh, you could just get killed. A player could get sucked into it, pulled by the tentacles. In my case, it actually pulled my paladin in and then did an alignment change on him and he became oh, nice. evil. He became an anti-paladin, but he had to hide that from the rest of the party. But he became <laughs> – the cleric, uh, he had a big book he carried around ever after that called the Big Old Book of the Elder Elemental God. Uh, right. and he tried to get people to read it because it would drive you insane. Because mm -hmm. in many ways, think, uh, think Lovecraft when you're dealing with this particular god. Exactly. Uh, and I like the idea of the shards uh, trying to come together. And you can totally try to figure out how you can rationalize that into this whole thing too. But sure. I like to say that the drow made their initial contact with the fire giants and then it led uh, to the hill i mean to the frost and the hill but they did so probably by promising them that they had one of these shards which they probably did in the mm -hmm. underdark they that's what i would say on that one is that as a dm have a lot of fun with that particular room because mm -hmm. even you know you don't just have to rely on the pillars that cause fear the minute they go into this room the players should be getting the hairs on the back of their neck should be standing up yeah Exactly. I would even go as far as saying, like, even more of a backstory. Eclavdra, um, mm -hmm. as powerful as she is, because this is also the 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 area nine through twelve here. Let's just say because Eclavdra is going to be involved with this as well, because you're probably going to meet up with her, and, and I would think she's going to escape in some shape or fashion. But I would think Eclavdra. As a backstory for her, this could be revealed later. Who knows? Somehow fell out of favor with Lolth. So she found some other dark entity to give her power. Something even more powerful than Lolth herself. And she found, oh, yeah, out, definitely. About, and she found out about Rentok, the elder elemental god. And she was able to build up a following, a cult built up around the elder elemental god some drower in her in her clan maybe or if not her clan maybe other um drow who were um cast out from other clans even maybe she's trying to form her own who knows but that's a way you can maybe this is a way for her to gain revenge to gain revenge to gain power to sh not only revenge but show to her clan back Later on in module D3, say, look what I have done. Look what I can do, and you need to kneel down and worship me and worship the Elder Elemental God and then dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Well, yeah, definitely. Yes, so. Anywho. And that's how – that's some of the background. Some of the background, everybody, to let you know how I found out about this is on a great website called Cannon Fire which is like the internet repository of everything um, that is uh, 
Greyhawk. And uh, they have a download section of their um, area called Orth Journal. And it's in journal number 12 where there was an interview back in 2001 with Gary Gygax. And he talks about this elder elemental god and how it ties in really with the whole giant series because you read through the whole description about this elder elemental god and then you think of the giant series like oh (laughs) now it all makes sense and just a little snippet of information about this elder elemental god priests clerics who worship this thing they can also um have uh, powers over one of the elements in particular. Did you? Have, I, I forgot to ask you, Nick. Do you have a link to that journal so we can share for the people uh, listening at home? Yeah, I did put a link in the uh, near the very beginning on our chat area, but um, I can link that again yeah. for certain. I have oh. it, so I already got it in the show notes, so that'll be there. So, so you can a- look that up. Cannonfire.com website. Cannonfire.com website. Absolutely. So this is right from Gygax's lips himself. So you can't get more cannon than that unless unless it was a big old howitzer. But I was going to say is these Rentox Rentox clerics, like I said, they can also get minor knowledge of all elements or focus on one element in particular. Hmm. Now, where have I heard that for elements? Elements. Oh, yeah, the Temple of Elemental Evil, folks. Don't tell anyone. That's right. Damn. It's Rentok is behind the Temple of Elemental Evil. So there is a tie-in between T1 through 4 and the Giant series. Dun, dun, you, dun, can, dun. you can make it just some huge, really cool arc against this Elder Elemental God. I think that's just epically cool and coolly epic. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, but for me, that's the, the one area along when you meet, you know, Eklavdra and the rest of her buddies in this area where the, it, it, cum, it almost culminates right here, you know? So, and in, in all these other things like the wall of tentacles that you encounter that's one of the uh, that's a spell that you can get as a worshiper of Runtok. the lesser tentacle and greater tentacle rods that's part of that creepy yeah creepy in itself very much so very nasty bad guys to go up against so and a lot of this information also and i think we can if i don't know if we can put this in a downloads area but somebody a while ago did a compilation of all the deities of the world of Greyhawk called Deity Base. And if we can make that available to everybody, because it was a free download where I found it, and it's been a huge, wonderful resource. And you uh-huh. can look uh-huh. and you can look up Vilt Fakchu Rentok and Bless what his worshiper Yes, thank you. <laughs> and Well, and, it all depends. Or is it their take on it, or is it actual fact? No, this was a, this was adopted from the original Orth Journal article from Gygax. I don't know, Matt. What do you think? Well, we we can share it and just 
to have people uh, make their own call on whether or not it's something they want to integrate in their game. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it could. I mean, I think it's, I think if anything, it's another good resource. Right. I mean, it, realize this was not anything that was an official release, but just more of Gary wrote some stuff and people compiled it and organized it. So it, it could be an interesting read. So why not? Okay. There you go. So we'll put that up there, and you guys can download if you want to use it or not. It uh, should be free available for you. So we're heading down to level three now? Mm-hmm. Go for it. Yeah, so... If you survive to level three, I didn't, has anybody made it to level three, did he say? <laughs> uh, I know on my Hackmaster campaign, the Hackmaster version they did, they actually got to the very end. Oh, Okay. Um, but, um, yeah, level three, it's, uh, I don't know. I think, I think with level three, the, the, the interesting areas are your, you got the, uh, the, the vaulted cavern where there's a, a charmed and what has an illusion on it is a Gorgon to look like a huge sleeping red dragon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But the treasure cove cave next door actually has the huge red dragon, uh, Brazimal. Some nice treasure in there, though. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which leads to the question, all the stuff they've accumulated in these three modules, how are they moving this stuff around? Uh, um, don't care. <laughs> <laughs> A big bag of holding. There we go. Yes, big go. giant bag of holding. Yeah. Well, I thought if you read through the description of Brazimal, he's kind of like the AD&D version of Smaug because he could see he has 666 base one gold piece gems embedded in his stomach. <laughs> Who had something similar to that, of course, Smaug from The mm. Hobbit. Yeah. So that's kind of like a wink and a nod. A little homage to Mr. Tolkien without encouraging you on his estate. <laughs> um, I also thought the stinking caverns were interesting because you have a total of, oh gosh, nearly 50 trolls. That's <laughs> ah, a piece of cake. Or, yeah, it's some th- trolls. Come on. 50. Regenerating three hit points around. If you don't have enough fire or acid or Lord knows what else to, to, to kill these things. Well, you're yeah, in the home of fire. Be... You're in the home of fire giants. There should be fire everywhere. Well, I would be tossing them in the vats of lava or, you know, in the lava <laughs> tubes if I could. Because that's that. I don't care what party it is. That's a, that's a chalk full of regenerating creatures in those three areas. That's going to be tough. Just tough. Let's not forget the singing chamber in case you have a character that likes to, uh, you know, chant and sing like a bard. Oh, yeah, and talks too much. The singing chamber where it echoes everything around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love and, that one. And the gray ooze that inhabits the pool. Mm-hmm. And it's a twin on the other side. Yep. That's a real good one. It's kind of just and, Yeah, this one is kind of random, and I think that's what would throw kind of characters for a loop. You know, because they they got through the previous level. They probably went through that temple, found out everything. They're probably really beaten up by this point. And if they haven't rested, they're going to be 
there's this is like the one-two punch. They don't know where it's coming from on this one. You got the gray oozes. You got some more giant. Yeah, all these trolls. Um, then you got more drow, uh, like Area 16, where there's one of them who's armed with this special magic item called a demon staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the demon staff. Uh, causes oh. fear <laughs> to whoever it touches. No save. Yeah. <laughs> Four to 24 hit points of damage. Only be healed by one full day of time per hit point. Or and call forth a type one demon or turn the holder into a type three demon for five rounds. So let me ask you a question. Do you imagine- no charges. Each and, and each of these works once per day. No charges on the demon staff. So the demon staff, it says uh, <laughs> causes fear to whomever touches it. Right. Does that include the person who wield it? No, not no, probably not. But I'm thinking if they kill the L, the drow, and then they go to pick it up, are they feared because it, they're touching it? Uh, I think that's a a thing where the fear is caused as a, a it's an effect that you call up from the staff when you touch somebody. It's not like it's automatically on all the time because it it only happens once per day, like every other effect from the demon staff. Yeah, I think that's how that's supposed to. So you don't need fear insulated gloves to hold it. Right, right, right. It's like <laughs> it's like you're gonna touch somebody and go booga. Okay. Ah. <laughs> exactly. That would be actually slightly amusing though if you said just whoever touches it, wielder included, has fear. So you have yeah. this drow whole wielding it, but totally in fear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would be. But here's the thing about it. no charges, because each effect you can use once per day. Still really, really powerful because you could either, you know, do the hit points of damage, cause fear, um, call up a type one demon <laughs> or turn yourself into a type three demon. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd want the party to get a hold of this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, type demon is out of there. Yeah. Well, once you start turning things into demons or summoning them as a party, I would say the demon probably doesn't like you that you summoned. Yeah, I think it kind of alludes to that here that if you summon it, I think there's a chance that he might turn upon its summoner. Yeah, or if it turns you into a type 3 demon, who's to say you wouldn't also get the alignment of said demon? Right, maybe over time, each time you do it, you become more demonic and eventually you'll permanently turn into a type three demon. I don't know. Cool. That's how I would do it. And then there's the jeweled cavern where, I don't know, just lying around with the dark elves is an amulet of the plains. (laughs) I mean, really? Not to mention the mind flayers in the room as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. There's mind flayers. Three of them. Cause you know, it only gets better by here. Was the purpose to just to kill everybody in this module? I mean, I think by level three, like I said, you're so battered and torn and beaten, and you got all, all these other, you got this, you know, monster mash of different monsters on level three. I mean, you really got to be on your toes, healed up big time, and I would have like a hundred rope trick spells on scrolls ready to go if I need to be rested up every time. <laughs> That's all I could say. And then you come across, you know, the last area, which is the River of Lava, where there's the, uh, 
the bridge that goes across, like a pontoon kind of bridge sort of thing. Yeah. And then that you have a chance of getting messed with by some salamanders that are playing in the lava. <laughs> but after that, you have the possibility of coming across a uh, a scroll case with a wish oh, spell yeah. in it and a map. So, so wait, wait, just stop right here. Another wish. Another wish. So that would come out to be in the whole G series if you count the first two rings of three wishes and that seven wish spells if you haven't exhausted them all already. Um, or at least they give you a way to get to the next series if you want. Right. Right. Because it was maybe accidentally dropped the right. map, which leads to other more deep areas into the earth. Or D1. Yes. The so at the this of the point, earth. you can either jump to the D1 module or you can follow along with us to G4, mm -hmm. which Thor Camera has provided to us, which we'll review on the next episode. Yeah. So there's lots of avenues that you can pursue with this series. Very interesting uh, to see how Mr. Thor Camera ties G4 into the series. Yeah, I think it wouldn't be too hard because if you read, uh, every module has stone giants in it. So yeah. I would think if you wanted to bring G4 into it as maybe maybe one of the stone giants, maybe you captured one of them and interrogated them and find out where their lair is. And then you can tie it into G4 that way. We'll see what Thorkhammer has to say about that. I think it'll be very interesting. So... But I just love all the different lore that ties all this together with this elder elemental god. And you can make one hell of a, st a campaign arc if you want to as a DM. So next time you'll join us will be Sanctum of the Stone Giant Lord. Yeah. G4. It'll be very, very cool. So join us next week and keep it original, keep it old school. Good night, everybody. Good night. Hey, everybody. The Roll for Initiative podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. You can visit us at rfipodcast.com or contact us on our forums at osrgaming.org or even by calling us at 570-865-4210. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. And remember, if your magic missile spell doesn't automatically hit, you're playing the wrong edition. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Roll for Initiative. Roll for Initiative.